commit our time to you and ask in Jesus' name that you'll encourage us and excite us in the truth of your word and make us to understand in a greater measure than ever before all you've provided for us at Calvary. This we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to talk to you a little bit about definitions. We've talked about definitions before. What, what is love? Hello. What is love? I'm not talking about love that the young people, a lot of the world of young people talk about. Love. I'm not talking about puppy love that leads to a dog's life, kids. Keeping Christ's commands. That's a biblical definition of love. I want to talk to you about a couple of other things. What is grace? How many of you know that we talk about the grace of God all the time? Over and over the scriptures talk about the grace of God. I know that we used to always kid each other in our home and say, if somebody would drop something, we'd say, how does it feel, Grace? Speaking of being graceful. And uh, it must be nice, Grace, to be, be so graceful. And we'd always kid about that. Well, we went to a restaurant one night when Jeffrey was just a little tyke. And the waitress came up, and she had this big tag. Of course, I knew her. Her name was Grace. And she had put some dishes on the table, and I said, Hi, Grace, how are you? And Jeff was looking around, and she brought some food and put it on the table, and I said, Grace, how's it going? And she, she walked away, and he said, Daddy, I didn't see her drop anything. Why do you keep calling her Grace? <laughs> Grace. Anyone going to give me an idea what they, you think Grace might be? I, you know, I can't hear it if you mumble it. Unmerited favor from God. All right, that's good. Okay, Bill Gothard says grace is the ability to know and to do God's will. That's another interpretation. Let me give you a third one. Grace is, this isn't a very good pen, by the way. Can you see this? The green works better. Okay, we're. You're right, thank you. Okay, we're going to have multicolored word here. Receiving something you don't deserve is another definition of grace. And I want you to see this in several verses in the New Testament. The first one is found in Romans, the third chapter. Romans chapter 3. When we talk about the grace of God, Romans chapter, I'm sorry, yes, Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Romans 3, 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It says in verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. Being, receiving justification, even though we didn't deserve it. Justification means just as though I never sinned. When God looks at me, it's just as though I'd never sinned. It's a very simple interpretation or definition of justification. And mercy is when you and I receive something, excuse me, grace is when you and I receive something 
that we don't deserve. Another verse is Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Most of you know this by heart, I hope. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace, we receive salvation. We receive uh, through faith, which is gift, a gift from God. Gives you the faith to believe. To receive salvation. That is grace. Receiving something that you don't deserve. How many of you know that we don't deserve to be saved? How many of we did not deserve to have Jesus Christ nailed on the cross for our sins? We did not deserve for God the Father to send His only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sins. We deserved hell. All right. Another verse is Ephesians 3. 7 and 8. Ephesians 3, 7, and 8. Paul says, Where I was, whereof I was, let's see, is that 3? Yes. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace, of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, I received something I didn't deserve. I mean, I was the chiefest of sinners, and yet God in His grace gave me something I didn't deserve. He gave me the calling into the ministry. None of us deserve the privilege to be able to even declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, if the angels were given that much of a chance, they would cover the earth in a moment to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. But... Paul said that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And those things which are, at no, are nothing to become something mighty. And so God takes us, and I still don't understand why he chose me, why he merited me with grace or gave me grace to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am amazed at that over and over again, especially when I listen sometimes to some of these tremendous preachers that I hear over uh, some of the television programs from some of these large churches, the, the tremendous job they're doing. I, I keep saying, Lord, I don't understand why in the world you chose me. But you know, he didn't just choose me. He chose every one of us that are here tonight by his grace. He said, I want to use you as an instrument for my glory. I want you to make an impact on others. And that's my grace that's even allowing you to do it. I mean, what right would we have were it not the grace of God to be able, even be able to speak his name? Remember I told you in the Old Testament how he was so revered and held in awe that there was one word that they, one name that they gave to him because it, you didn't speak it, it was just and we, we pronounce it Yahweh. Uh, but the, the Jews wouldn't even say it out loud. It was just so sacred. And yet he says that we can come boldly into his throne by his, through the blood of Jesus. That's all of grace. Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of what? 
grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Receive something we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's help. But he says we can come before his throne of grace and obtain mercy. What does it go on to say? And find grace to help in time of need. Now there's two words here. The first one is grace and the second one is mercy. We're going to find out what mercy is in a moment. <coughs> but grace is when you and I receive something we don't deserve. Lord, help me. He says you don't deserve it. I know I don't, Lord, but I come in the name of Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I ask for forgiveness and cleansing from all my sin. I just claim cleansing through the blood of Jesus. And I just declare, Lord, I need your help. And it says we can find grace to help. God will give us what we don't deserve in that time when we cry out to him. I'm so glad for the grace of God. First of all, I'm glad that when we love the Lord, we desire to keep his commandments. And he said, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if he hears us, we have the petitions we ask of him. Why? Because we're coming to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Receive help in the time of need. Now, the second word I want us to think about, what's the difference between grace and mercy? What's mercy then? If you said grace is what you said it was a moment ago in some of your definitions, what's mercy? Say that again. Hey, that's very good. I'll put that down. Not... Very good. Not receiving what you do deserve. You see the difference? Grace is receiving what you don't deserve, and mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. God in His grace saved you, gave you eternal life, and then in His mercy, He doesn't give you what you really deserve. Now look at that last verse we just looked at again. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy. What? You may not receive what you really deserve. But... Find grace, receiving something you don't deserve, to help in the time of need. Isn't that beautiful? The differentiation there? We don't deserve God's love and, and forgiveness. We do deserve punishment, but in His grace He gives us salvation, and in His mercy He doesn't punish us. Look at Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is what? What does it say? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And then it goes on and says, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. 
He didn't give us what we deserved, but then he manifested grace to us. Then he, uh, 1 Timothy, the first chapter, 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 and 13. First Timothy 1, 12 and 13. Paul the Apostle says, I thank... I'll wait until you get there. First Timothy 1, 12 and 13. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained... Mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He's, I really deserve to be punished, but God knew I did it in my ignorance. I really thought I was serving him when I persecuted the church and when I put Christians to death. He knew that I was trying to serve him. I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and he had mercy on me. How many of you know that when we do things ignorantly, God will have mercy on us? It's when we become presumptuous in our sins that the mercy of God is held withheld. You remember in the Old Testament when Abraham brought Sarah with him and he got into Egypt and he said to this to Sarah, now you tell him you're my sister. And one of the uh, pharaohs there, one of the kings there took Sarah into his harem. And in the middle of the night, God awakened him and said, if you touch that woman, you're a dead man. That woman, woman is this man's wife and he's my prophet. He said, I didn't know that, God, I didn't know that. He was a heathen. He recognized God was talking to him, and he said, I didn't know that she was his wife. He says, I know that, and that's why I'm warning you. Now, you take her back to him and have him pray for you that your family may be healed. And when he took her back to Abraham, he gave him gifts and everything. He said, pray for me. And when he prayed for, her, for them, here the unbelieving family, the word of God says that God healed all of his wives and concubines for he had closed their wombs because... He had taken Sarah into his harem. Now, God gives mercy or extends mercy when we do things in ignorance. But we need to be afraid when we begin to do things in presumption. James 2, 13 and 3, 17. James 2. James is right after Hebrews. James 2, 13. I'll start with um, verse 11. For he that saith, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that sh hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. He's saying here that if you and I do not show mercy to others, God will not show mercy to us. In another way he says it, if you will not forgive others, you will not be forgiven. If you will not let go of that resentment and bitterness, then God will not forgive you. And when, if you will not have mercy on others who have problems and needs, then God will not be merciful to you in your needs and problems. 
But whenever he does help you out of your problems and your needs, you can recognize that it's not grace, it's mercy. We don't deserve it, but he gives us help in time of need. James 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. He's saying the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, and you don't deserve it. When you get that kind of, of uh, wisdom, what is wisdom? Basically, the wisdom, wisdom is the word of God applied to your life. When God gives you, the, when you take the word of God and you apply it to your life, you gain wisdom because the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But he says that that wisdom that comes from above is all of mercy. Do you know that if the Holy Spirit does not give you and me divine revelation, we can't comprehend this book? You see, it's not understood by the natural mind. By natural reason, you'll never be able to think this thing through all the way. You have to have divine revelation of the Holy Spirit witnessing to you by, I mean, uh, showing you that this is alive and that it's truth. I mean, again, the world can't comprehend it because they try to figure it out with their educated idiot box. How many of you know that it's difficult in the natural for someone to believe in someone who died 2,000 years ago and say that, that that death was efficacious for you, that you can receive that death in your behalf and it will, it will show an effect in your life? How can someone who died 2,000 years ago do anything in your life? Do you know something? If God does not reveal that to you by His Spirit through conviction, you can't comprehend it. That's why I tell people, don't ever say that you'll get right with God when you get ready because you'll never get right with God because you won't get ready until He's ready for you to. And if you don't get ready when He's ready, you're out of luck. The wisdom that God gives from above, anything that God gives to you, is of his mercy. We don't deserve it. While we are yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. For there's none that seeketh after God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and God hath laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. How many of you know you deserve hell tonight? Mercy is the only thing kept you out of hell. Jude. Jude chapter 21, huh? Hello. Jude chapter 21, is that what it is? I still remember a preacher said he was going to preach on John 32 and 33 the next night. He wanted everybody to go home and read it. And the next night when the meeting came, he said, how many of you went home and read John 32 and 33? And a whole bunch of the people raised their hands. He says, that's good to know. He says, then my message is right tonight because I'm going to be speaking on lying. <laughs> you know, everybody wants, doesn't want anyone to think they didn't do what they're supposed to do. Jude 21. Keep looking in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He says... Keep yourselves in the love of God. How's that? Obeying God. Walking in obedience to His Word. Looking for that which you don't deserve. Eternal life. Mercy. 
All right? Now, as we look at grace and mercy, there are a lot of people say, well, Brother Webb, I'm telling you, sometimes I don't think God gives me very much mercy. If he only keeps you out of hell, you have more mercy than you ever deserved. If he never did another thing for you on this earth, I mean, if you went through this life like Job did with boils all over his body, and if you became blind, and your kidneys quit working on you, and you became crippled up in your body, and you couldn't move, and somebody had to feed you the rest, if you still went to heaven, you deserve more, you receive more mercy than you and I ever deserve. You understand what I'm saying? If you had to walk everywhere you go and didn't have any shoes to put on your feet, you've already received more mercy than you and I deserve. We're spoiled in this country. Sometimes we think that God has totally failed us if we don't have two cars in the garage, a boat in the dock, and all the rest of these things, you know. And this is the mindset that we get. We've gotten, and we forget. Jesus said if you just have uh, food to eat and clothes to put on and some place to sleep, that's all you need. He says naked, I mean the Word of God says naked you come into this world, naked you go out. But our philosophy is today, he who collects the most toys and then dies wins. Isn't that a foolish philosophy? I just want to share with you, because I'm very concerned with the attitude of many believers today that think that they shall know them by their Cadillacs. I don't see that in the Scriptures. I want to tell you that life is absolutely unfair. If no one ever tells you anything else, I want you to know that people do not always get what they deserve. How many of you know that's true? How many of you have looked around and said, why in the world do they get all that and I don't get anything? I mean, I know them. They're scalawags. They're, they're just, I mean, they don't deserve, they got anything at all. They deserve to go to jail and look at how they're prospering and everything. Life isn't fair. How many of you know some wonderful people in this world who seem to just struggle and fall and get up and fall down about the time they get things done? I mean, the rear end goes out of their car or the battery falls out on the ground or four flats on the tires and they just seem like they can never get up. And you think, dear God, how do they keep on going? And then all of a sudden, one of them has to go in the hospital. They don't have any hospitalization. And it just seems like all the fenders fall off of everything every day. I want to tell you something. That's life. Now, I know there will be some people that will tell you you can rebuke all that away. I know that we have authority over all the powers of darkness. But how many of you have lived long enough to know that even when you know how to come against Satan and all of his hosts, it still feels like someone's kicking the slats out of your crib every day? Everybody, anybody ever gone through those times? I mean, all the kids get sick or the car breaks down or something in the house, some utility in the house breaks down. Or uh, You ever get that frustration feeling? Write it down. Life is not fair. But if I've only received and obtained mercy from God not to receive what I deserve, I ought to be thanking the Lord in the midst of all my trials and troubles and tests. Amen. I'm glad one brother agrees with me. Would you look with me at e Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter and the 11th verse. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. Let me just go back to the ninth verse here. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the, day, all the days of the life of thy vanity, all the days of the life of thy vanity, which, thou hast given, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. 
Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither the bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. But time and chance happeneth to them all. You know, there are a lot of people that just happen to be at the right place at the right time, and everything good happens. Others just seem to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, and he said, that's life. He said, just because you're swifter than anyone else doesn't mean you're going to get it. You know, some people say, you know, the nice guys ought to win. Nice guys don't always win. Now, remember something. He's talking about this life. I'm going back to tell you that you obtained grace in the first place. You received something you didn't deserve when you received salvation, the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. The very fact that you've received the promise of heaven is God's mercy, something you don't deserve to be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. You don't deserve that. Anything beyond that, you must recognize that's life. When the difficult times of life come along, you've got to realize, I'm only here for a certain period of time, but in it all. Whatever comes, let it come. I'll, uh, uh, Job says, though he slays me, yet will I trust him. Doesn't make any difference what comes. I'm going to go right on through with God. Paul says, I have fought a good fight. He didn't say, I have danced a victorious march. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. There is therefore laid up for me a crown which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me. The word of God declares to us that there's going to be hard times, trials and tests and tribulations in this world, but you and I must be able to declare, but I have obtained grace and mercy from the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to have to just get squashed down all the time, but I'm saying when these things come, don't feel like it's, not, it's happening only to you. The scripture says that the rain falls on the just and on the what? Now, the saints are the just, aren't they? And the ain'ts are the unjust. Okay, and the scripture says the rain falls. How many of you know that if you're standing out on a day when it's raining, the rain's going to fall on you just like it does that sinner standing next to you, that old reprobate next to you? See, and that the word of God says the natural things of life can happen to you, but God has promised to us he won't let more come on us than we can bear. Now, you know what I've heard some Christians say? God lied. That's, this is more than I can bear. No, you need to say, I'm wrong. I can bear more because he's promised me that I can, that he'll never put on me more than I can bear. If he's put this on me, he must know that I can bear it. Because of his grace and mercy, I'm trusting him every day. And I'm not trusting in my own strength. I'm trusting in him. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't expect all the roses to come up with no thorns. There's got to be some thorns and thistles in this life. But he has promised never to take, take me down further and cause me to be in, in a place of despair to where I can't stand it anymore. I want to tell you something. I never have enjoyed any of the hard things I've gone through. But in the midst of those hard things, God has done a work in my life that never would have been done otherwise. It's when we're in the belly of the whale and the big fish going down toward the bottom, we begin to seek and cry out to God, you know? And we begin to see if God is really going to work in our behalf. And we find out that he does. But he says, don't think that just because you're the swiftest and the smartest and the, and the uh, richest or any of these things that everything's going to go right because it may not. Some of the richest people in the world, I've heard them say, I would give all that I have if I could just have my health. Money can't buy health, you see. 
People say, well, if I had money, boy, that would settle everything. I've got news for you. You go to some of the richest neighborhoods in the world, and you'll see nothing but despair and despondency. How many of you know recently there's been this famous divorce thing going on where this, this woman's going to receive, what, a 40, the Trump divorce? How many of you know they're not happy, and they've got more money than you and I would ever be able to spend if we started tomorrow? The rest of our life, you couldn't spend it all. So it's not to the swift, it's not to the, 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 uh, the wise. A lot of times things happen. We don't understand why they happen, but it doesn't make any, make any difference. Our position is I've re obtained grace and mercy, and anything else I get beyond that is just frosting on the cake. Now, Solomon, first of all, wanted us to understand that no matter who we are, things may not always work out the way we want them to work out, but that's not the thing that we look at as believers. Look at Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. And by the way, if you're wondering about the book of Ecclesiastes, it's written from the perspective of a man, not looking in God's perspective, but as a man looks at things under the sun, looking in the natural way. And he just looked at the natural thing and says, this is the way it is when you look at it in the natural. The third chapter 3, verse 17. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there, there's a time there for every purpose and for every work. Solomon said, in this world, it's not to the swift, it's not to the wise, but he said, don't worry about those things. There's going to come a time when God's going to judge the righteous and the wicked. And then's when the books will be settled. Not in this life. I've had people say, why doesn't God do something to those people? They've been living in sin. They've been living in disobedience all this time. Why doesn't God deal with them? And I keep telling them, remember, God doesn't settle his books at the end of a month or a year. He settles his books at the end of a life. Don't tell him how to do it. Because it's amazing how we want God to judge them now, but to be very merciful to us, Lord, and wait until later on because we will change, you know. I'm so glad that God doesn't put us in charge. Wouldn't we make a mess of things in no time? We just have to know it doesn't make any difference if my neighbor's got everything and everything's going rosy for him and everything's falling apart for me right now. My trust is in the Lord. And one of these days, if I'm just obedient to him and I'm pleasing to the Lord and I walk uprightly before the Lord, I'll step out of this life and he'll balance the books. Brother Walt was telling me about a home over here in Heathrow, 36,000 square feet. I thought, that's, that's a dump in comparison to what some believers who are obedient to the Lord is going to have one of these days. And yet we're so impressed if somebody drives a new car or so impressed if somebody has a nice house. and so Big deal. They're going to have to answer to God one of these days. And if they have not done it in the will of God, if they have not handled it in a way that is pleasing to the Lord as a good steward, they're going to have to answer to God and they're going to lose their reward. He says he saw at the end. Proverbs 24. Psalm Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, verse 12. If thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth the soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? I know that's stilted language. 
We can say, well, God, I didn't know any better. That's why I keep telling people, you know, for a while a person as a Christian can say, well, I didn't know the Word said that. For a while that'll work. But when God says in His Word, study to show thyselves approved unto God, work on the need of not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. He said it's an open book test after a while. I, for a while, I mean, uh, I know that Sean doesn't mind nursing or giving a baby bottle and pablum to her little one there right now. But if 10, 15 years from now she had to keep doing it, she'd begin to say, this is getting to be ridiculous. Come on, grow up. And God's saying to us, don't say in the days ahead. I mean, it's fine. If this year you say, you know, I don't understand God's principles, but don't say that two years from now or three years from now, because in that day God is going to judge us. He says that every one of us, he does not want any uh, deformed, non-developed children. He wants his children to be strong and robust. And how do they do that? By hiding the word of God away in our hearts. It's fine not to know everything right now. You'll never know everything. But if you don't know something today and you know what's there, then God says it's your responsibility to search it out and find it out and make it a conviction in your own life. Because he said there's coming a day when we're going to be judged. Galatians 6, 7 is very, very clear on that. How many of you know before you even get there what it is? Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. How many of you know that due season doesn't necessarily mean in this life? Hello? And you'll see many people sow to the flesh year after year after year after year after year after year, and it seems like nothing ever happens to them, but they die, and it's like Solomon said, it's, it's, uh, the sinner is like a, a man walking on a, a cliff, uh, a steep cliff of loose shale. All he has to do is slip once, and he's gone over the precipice, and he's gone forever. He's judged in that day when he stands before God. The Scripture says after the death comes what? The judgment, the judgment, the final judgment. All books will be balanced then. So I say again, when we talk about grace and mercy we've received from the Lord, and then we see the struggles of this present daily life, you have to get your proper perspective and get the stigmatism of time out of your mind and begin to say, this really doesn't matter. All I want to do is learn and the purpose and plan of God for my life in this situation, and this too will pass, but someday when I stand before him, I know that he'll balance the books. I want to tell you something, and I don't like to come back to this all the time, but it was very, very difficult for me to understand why the Lord took my sweetheart away from me when she was such a help to me in the ministry, in every area of my ministry. And in the natural, it would have been very, very easy to have said, forget it. And then to have a son whose desire and craving and longing and total purpose in life was to preach the gospel. That's all he wanted to do. And have him taken away from me, it would be very easy then to say, there's no God in heaven. But you see, I know better because I've looked on beyond this present world. I believe when Jeff stands before the Lord, he's going to have a great reward because he was faithful with every ounce of strength he had to serve the Lord for the years he was here. I believe Beverly's going to receive a great reward when she gets there because she had one purpose, two purposes, to please the Lord and to take care of her family and then minister in the church too. 
That was her whole life. She didn't want to do anything else. She said, I don't ever want to go anywhere else. I wouldn't want to be in any other church. I'm right where I know. I know I'm right where God wants me to be. Now, I feel like in drawing the straws, I got the short straw. But I know also that when I stand before him, that it's all going to be balanced. Jeff used to say, Daddy, I don't understand. I just don't understand this. I said, Jeff, I don't understand it either. But I know one of these days we will. And then when we see the right side of the tapestry, like you said, we'll say, Lord, your ways are above my ways and your thoughts are above my thoughts. And in the meantime, it doesn't make any difference whether I understand or not. I trust you implicitly because you can never make a mistake. And I'm yours. Do whatever you will or would do through my life and in my life. And I'll thank you for just the fact that I know you is more than I ever deserved. You see what I'm trying to get across to you tonight? If you understand the grace and mercy of God that's been bestowed upon you, everything else in life, this too will pass. But all I want to do is glorify Jesus Christ with my whole life. Solomon's conclusion is now found in Ecclesiastes, the 12th, 12th chapter. I mean, after all these things he said about life and that life wasn't fair and so forth, he said, this is, the, this is the bottom line right here. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I mean, after all these things he's talked about in Ecclesiastes, and this is an, an, an interesting book. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. He said, don't make any difference what happens in this life. Just fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You don't have anything else to do but just obey God and keep his commandments. It doesn't say get rich. It doesn't say get poor. It doesn't say get excited. It just says keep, obey God and keep his commandments. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now let me just tell you something to write down in the back of your Bible sometime. And that is, God sees and knows everything I think or do at all times. Isn't it amazing when you go into a nightclub, how dark they are? I mean, you have a hard time. Sometimes it takes 15, 20 minutes for your eyes. I can remember trying to get my eyes to adjust when I used to go in the nightclubs as a kid. And I'd try to read something. In some restaurants today, you can hardly do it. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And there are a lot of young people to think, I know I used to think, if I drive out far enough in the country and park off on a road that, where nobody knows where I am, nobody will see me, what I might want to do out here. But one day I became aware of the fact that God saw me wherever I was, whether I was parked out in the country or I was in a dark house someplace or wherever I, God saw exactly what I was doing and what I was thinking and what I was saying. And I'll tell you something, in that day, God's going to judge it all. If we ever get that down in our heart, we're going to have the fear of God in our heart. Now, if we really believe this, and I'm going to just make very three quick points here. If we really believe this, then we need to realize that we must be about warning others around about us to cry out to God for His grace and His mercy. This world is going to hell in a basket. And we're the only ones that are going to be the watchmen standing by the cliff to warn them not to go over the cliff. And if we realize that all that we have received from God is because of His grace and mercy 
And God has says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. You be witnesses unto me. You declare the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me here or I'll be ashamed of you there. If you and I are not doing it and we don't, it means we don't really believe that unrepentant sinners will spend eternity in hell. Well, you say, Brother Webb, how can you say that to a Bible-believing person? There are a lot of Bible-believing people who act like they don't really believe that there's a literal hell coming someday for those who never repent of their sins. Those who are not able to receive the grace and mercy of God are going to hell. Your neighbors, your family members will never see light after this life. When that final judgment comes, when that, the books are open and another book is open, which is the book of life, in that day God will judge them out of the book and because they rejected His Son, Jesus Christ, and when I say rejected, in many cases they have not been able to hear about Jesus Christ because we failed to witness to Him. Why? First of all, if we don't witness to them, we've got one of three reasons. Either we don't really believe it, or we believe it and don't love them enough to tell them for fear we might lose their friendship in this present life. A lot of people say, well, I'd like to witness to them, but I'm afraid I might offend them, might hurt them if I do it. I'll tell you something, I'd rather offend them and hurt them here than have them stand before God in that day and point their finger at me and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? My blood is on your hands. You didn't tell me about Jesus Christ and his provision of salvation. And maybe it's the third reason. We really believe it, that judgment is coming, but we know so little about heaven and hell know so little about what the Word of God has to say about it, we hesitate to talk to them about it. And let me say again, that's fine for a year or two years or whatever. But I can remember I, how earnestly I witnessed, and I didn't even understand it all. When I was a brand new Christian, I witnessed to people, just told them how much God had transformed my life and changed me, and I, I just wanted to tell everybody. I didn't care if they got mad at me. I, I just was afraid that they'd go to hell without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Old Bud Robinson couldn't even read or write, and he spoke with a lisp. And the night he got saved, he ran out of the old tabernacle and went out and jumped across this, through his stomach right down over, hung on both sides over a, a, a cow pen, a pasture, I mean, a, a, you know, a, out behind the barn. Hung over the fence, barnyard fence. Feet on one side, hands on the other, and prayed until he got through and God saved him. He got up, and for 90 days he couldn't read or write, but for 90 days he kept praising God on the job. And 90 men that he worked with during that 90 days came to him and said, How can I get saved? He said, Go over to the barnyard, hang over that gate, and cry out to God for forgiveness. And men did it. That's all he knew. That's, he, that's how he got saved. Go hang over the barnyard gate, and you get saved there. But you know, I'd rather have people telling people that than not tell them anything. You say, Well, I don't know theological. Forget all the theology. Just tell them that God loves them and He's provided salvation for them if they'll only trust His Son. We need to understand the judgments of God that are coming in the days ahead. The judgment of the believers, the judgment of Israel, the judgment of the Gentile nations, and the great white throne judgment are coming. We have to believe that. And then I wonder if we really recognize the fact that God's Word tells us when we witness and when we're faithful to Him that we're going to receive rewards from Him. Some of us may have something here, but we're going to be paupers in heaven. Because the Word of God tells us that there are certain ways we're going to receive crowns or awards in heaven. There's the crown of life for those who are martyred for the gospel. There's the crown of rejoicing for those who are soul winners. 
who tell others about Jesus Christ. There's the incorruptible crown for those who overcome and are faithful to the end. There's the crown of righteousness for those who love his appearing. And there's the crown of glory for the elders or the pastors or the bishops of the church. Special honors that God's provided for us. And it all comes to an understanding of, first of all, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that's keeping his commandments. To recognize that it's the grace of God that's provided for us to where we can receive something we don't deserve. And in his mercy, we do not receive the judgment we do deserve. And now he wants us to declare the grace and mercy of God to others in obedience to him. It's impossible to be obedient to the Lord and to be a silent Christian. Hello. It's impossible to be an obedient Christian and to be a silent Christian. Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in the high schools, in the grade schools, in the colleges, on the job, in the neighborhood. Everywhere we go, we're a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. If you profess to know Jesus Christ, you are a witness whether you like it or not. You're either a good one or a bad one. But let me tell you something. If you're living like hell's frozen over and you know that you're doing things that you ought not to do, don't say anything about Jesus Christ until you get your life straightened out. You see, first thing is to love the Lord your God and then obey Him. If you love Him, you will obey Him. God's given us a privilege. A privilege. He could have sent the angels, but he, he chose the foolish things of this world. He chose us for the foolishness of preaching to win the world to Jesus Christ.